Thanks for tuning in to this week's Stacker Chat, your weekly update on all things Stacks. My name is Gina Abrams, and I'm joined by Muneeb Ali, Stacks founder. Stacks is smart contracts for Bitcoin, and Stacks mainnet launched earlier this year. Thanks for being here, Muneeb. We have a question of the day. Um, you've both seen and been involved in the Bitcoin community for years. Um, what are some of the values of Bitcoiners that you most resonate with? Yeah, so I think initially when I when I started working um, in, in Bitcoin uh, back in like 2013 or so, the thing that attracted me the most was uh, people in Bitcoin were attracted to kind of like new ideas. Like Bitcoin itself was very experimental, right? So they were attracted to new ideas. They were actually almost like uh, working at the cutting edge of technology. And so I was coming from the distributed systems, peer-to-peer networking type for research community before that. And over here, it was like, uh, like cutting edge research, but the ideas were very practical and very kind of like groundbreaking. And then as I got to know people in the uh, in the Bitcoin circles, I noticed how they're like truth seeking. They actually want to know the reality behind something, right? Like they, uh, they they would they would keep asking questions until they reach the the actual truth uh, behind something. And that that's that's something that resonates a lot with me. And obviously, the values of decentralization that. They believe in decentralization. They actually truly believe in decentralization. It's not just lip service. Uh, the kind of community that Bitcoin uh, attracted, uh, it's like a grassroots type of a movement uh, where they are trying to change the world, right? And they are motivated by this idea of, of decentralization and all of those things that they, they, they really uh, resonated a lot with me. Absolutely. And today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some questions that have popped up um, around stacks and Bitcoin and smart contracts, how they all interact. Um, So to start, I'd love to hear more about how you define expressive smart contracts on stacks and how you compare it to um, other solutions out there, such as Taproot or DLCs. Yeah, so the, interestingly, this topic actually got a lot of attention uh, this week and last week, especially with the activation of Taproot. Um, so Taproot, for those who don't know, it's the the most kind of like uh, the biggest upgrade that the Bitcoin uh, network has seen uh, in several years, like probably since like 20, 2017 or so. And the, and the last one before this was very controversial. And this one happened to be not controversial, very smoothly done. And I think it, it actually sets the bar for the industry where how to uh, kind of like do upgrades where the uh, like the requirements for changing Bitcoin, like the bar is very, very high. Like you can't just make changes to Bitcoin. Uh, developers in the community take any changes very, very, very seriously. And so you can't drastically change Bitcoin anyway, but even for smaller changes, uh, like the, the quality bar and the level of scrutiny that goes uh, into some of these uh, changes is very, very high. And it was great to see that, you know, Bitcoin uh, uh, network was able to kind of like very uh, seamlessly uh, upgrade to Taproot that generated a lot of interest, but I think it generated a lot of like discussions and confusion as well, right? And I, I think it might be worth like uh, diving a little bit into what that confusion is. So the, the confusion actually starts with the very definition of smart contracts, right? Um, Nick, Nick, Nick Zabo kind of like came up with a term and when he was talking about it, he was actually talking about pretty limited type of uh, uh, smart contracts and scripts, but he came up with the term, right? So that's kind of like the, is the original uh, definition. 
but I think the if you look at what has happened in the last decade or more, uh, especially with the rise of Ethereum and some other uh, modern smart contract platforms, the average developer today thinks of smart contracts to be fully expressive smart contracts, like where you can actually uh, code like you know uh, general purpose applications and, and and a lot more more functionality can be coded as smart contracts than that original idea of like very limited scripts, right? So the sometimes the confusion comes from the fact that somebody would say, well, every Bitcoin transaction is a smart contract. Technically, that is true. Like you can't argue with the fact that no, that is not true. Like technically, that is true because Bitcoin script is a scripting language. And you and sometimes people do even try to slip hair uh, on the term called expressive smart contracts. They're like, hey, every language is expressive. It's the to the extent how expressive do you want to be? And I think once you start arguing about that, uh, you would have to be like, sure, even that is uh, is a valid statement that every language is expressive to some certain extent, right? So I think the mental model here should be like if, if there's a spectrum, right? So on one extreme end of the spectrum, uh, you would put Bitcoin script. Like it's very limited. Yes, it's expressive, but in a very, very limited uh, way of being, being expressive. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you would put something like Solidity, which is curing complete, uh, I'm actually not a fan of curing complete languages because you could be, you can be fully expressive without being curing complete as well, right? I think there's a difference, uh, and 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 that's what clarity is, right? So on the other end of the spectrum, there there is uh, solidity, and uh, which is curing complete, and and then I think there is a design space in the middle that how expressive do you want to be versus approaching curing completeness, which can which can be problematic from from for doing like certain. Types of analysis on your programs, or uh, it just opens up like a really big attack vector. So on the spectrum where where we feel comfortable, or at least I feel comfortable, and the original designers uh, who worked worked on Clarity language feel comfortable, is basically being slightly less expressive than Turing complete. They're, these types of languages are called uh, decidable languages. In practice, they're expressive enough that pretty much anything you want to build. Anything you can do with Solidity, you can also do with Clarity. And we have uh, we have data now that it's not just a theoretical thing. Like anything you can build, uh, like stable coins, automated market makers, NFT marketplaces, you name it. Those things have already been built as Clarity uh, contracts in a very short span of time in the last six months or so in, in the SACS ecosystem, right? So going back to the original kind of like uh, difference, so... For some reason, I think there were a bunch of like marketing outlets or even people who started talking about Taproot as if Taproot is bringing smart contracts to Bitcoin. So Taproot is not a uh, direct smart contract programming solution, right? What Taproot really does is it A, reduces the size of certain complex transactions. So it's a much more efficient way of doing a simple transaction on, on Bitcoin instead of writing a very large complex transaction. Right? So it's a it's a more efficient block storage mechanism. So, so those transactions will be simple. And a side benefit of making those simple transactions instead of complex transactions is also privacy. So you're not revealing a lot of information about your complex transaction and you're basically uh, you know, revealing much less information. So it helps privacy. So it's more, more efficient, it's uh, more private, and then realistically, the impact that it has uh, on smart contracts is effectively that the type of things that you could do with Bitcoin even today, right? Bitcoin script, 
or other types of these offline uh, scripts like uh, or, or, or smart contracts like DLCs. Again, I think uh, let me let me let me pause there. I'll come back to DLCs because I think they're they're an important concept to understand. But what happens is that those those things were already possible with Bitcoin, but with Taproot they become more practical because they there there were certain constraints on DLCs that get lifted with Taproot. They actually become more practical. And I think that is the thing that people are getting excited about. But what is being lost in all of these technical details is the fact that Bitcoin script or DLCs come nowhere close to fully expressive smart contracts. You're not getting, you're not getting solidity, you're not getting clarity at the Bitcoin layer. That is not what is happening. You're not getting fully expressive smart contracts. And I think so that ex that excitement. Um, is is a little bit uh, like I think it's it's overhyped in my opinion, right? Because not all people understand. Like it's a great thing. I'm excited about it, but I think my reasons for being excited about it are very different uh, from 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 some of the folks out there who might who might who might be reading information from overhyped uh, sources. All right. Thank you. Um, and so how do Stacks contracts interact with Bitcoin both today and then what are the possibilities for the future um, when it comes to sort of writing to Bitcoin? Um, yeah, can you speak more to that? Yes. So I think uh, before we get into it, let me let me introduce uh, a, a few more concepts that would help you understand things, right? So uh, one thing that we just discussed was uh, how expressive a, a smart contract uh, programming languages, right? So one, so you have fully expressive uh, things like solidity or, or clarity, or you have these limited scripts. Let's kind of like bucket bucket these two things. But interestingly, those are not the only uh, factors that determine if you could implement general purpose applications or not. So let me let me give you an example. Uh, the so one thing that is very important for implementing general purpose applications is actually global state. So what, what you mean by global state is that any smart contract basically running on a blockchain would have access to some global information and everyone on that blockchain has the same view of that, of that, uh, of that state, right? And that is actually very important because if you remove global state, even if you have a more expressive language, you wouldn't be able to build general purpose applications. And, and let's, let's be very specific. Let's uh, pick, a, pick an example. Let's say that you want to implement Uniswap like uh, automated market maker. So the reason you're able to, to build something like Uniswap, there are two reasons there. One, Solidity is expressive enough, but B, Ethereum has global state, right? So these, these contracts have global state. If you're basically putting some, you're providing some sort of liquidity to Uniswap, these contracts know that that liquidity is there and everyone everyone on the network has the same view of of that liquidity pool right and that's that's how you implement it interestingly the bitcoin blockchain has global state right it has global state but bitcoin script is not expressive enough that's why you don't have uh, a uniswap like implementation directly on bitcoin right and 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 interestingly uh, with Clarity, it's not just that Clarity is expressive. So comparing Clarity to Bitcoin script. So Bitcoin script over there is the limitation, right? Uh, because it's not expressive enough. Clarity is expressive enough. You could implement a Uniswap-like application with Clarity, 
but that's not enough. You also need global state. And in this case, the global state is coming from the Stacks layer. The Stacks itself is designed like a blockchain. I call it a layer 1.5 because it depends on, on Bitcoin, but it, it, it is itself a blockchain-like system and it has global state. When you compare this to solutions like DLCs, which are offline and they don't have global state. So this is a point that people don't understand, right? That even if DLCs are expressive enough, which I, 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 would, I, would, I would put that in the gray area, okay? even if they are expressive enough, uh, they can be, they don't have global state, which means that you will not be able to implement things like uh, Uniswaps because these are more like peer-to-peer -peer contracts. You're not, you do not have global state. Your contract only has information on the parties that are actually participating in that contract and they have to do a bunch of off-chain work to make these contracts uh, actually actually do the job that they're trying to do because they're lacking global state. So I think those are the two important concepts uh, to keep in mind when thinking about how do we unlock general purpose applications like the ones we have seen on Ethereum or so on or other places directly around Bitcoin. And that's the solution that basically Stacks brings as an independent layer that has global state, that has a fully expressive programming language clarity and to unlock, unlock these applications. Very cool. Thank you so much. And can you talk about any sort of future-looking research about um, folks that are interested in exploring how specifically Stacks contracts can potentially write to Bitcoin? Yeah. So I think uh, now I'm bringing up like a like a separate topic from what we have been discussing, and that is the interaction of the Stacks blockchain with the Bitcoin blockchain, right? So remember that uh, for, for building these applications, you need a global state, you need a fully expressive language. So people have tried doing that in Bitcoin even before, right? If you look at the Liquid network, for example, so it's a federated network. Uh, so you're trusting the, the, the operators of the network, it's a handful of operators, but the network itself, if you, step, if you forget about the, the trusted uh, part that is a federation, has global state, right? It, it works like a blockchain. And, and you can have expressive languages there as well. So RSK again, right? RSK has a different set of security assumptions. Uh, you're, you're basically, uh, there's a hardware multi-sig and some people who have kind of like a backup keys to that multi-sig, but RSK system itself has global state and it has a fully expressive language. They use Solidity and EVM, right? So what's the difference between RSK and, and Stacks over here? And there, there is a very important difference and that's the third dimension over here. And that dimension is the Stacks directly connects to Bitcoin, right? It directly, you can, these smart contracts can directly read information from Bitcoin. The logic on, on these smart contracts can trigger actions directly on the, on the Bitcoin chain. RSK and Liquid are completely disconnected from Bitcoin, right? Like their, their day-to-day operations, their smart contracts cannot read Bitcoin information. They, they don't respond to Bitcoin transactions, right? So the third dimension over here is when we say we want to enable smart contracts with Bitcoin, we want to basically have applications where part of the application actually literally lives on the Bitcoin side, right? So when, if you're thinking about a lending application, your Bitcoin remains on the Bitcoin chain. You don't even need to kind of like take Bitcoin and then uh, issue a wrapped asset 
with all the various trust assumptions or federations or multi-sigs that you have to trust, you just work directly with Bitcoin. I think that's actually a game changer because that, that is the unlock that you need. You want a fully expressive language, you want Bitcoin to remain on the Bitcoin chain and to be able to do useful things with it, right? So for applications on, on Stacks, for example, uh, think about that, you know, let's say you want to build some sort of a DAO. And in that DAO, the funding is coming as BTC, but the BTC remains on the Bitcoin chain. Like you could actually just have like the funding structure is that that you're just, people are just doing Bitcoin transactions to an address and that, that, that uh, address uh, could be linked to the DAO. And then there are technical details there, right? So the read path uh, on the stack side is already implemented. It's already fully functional, meaning that let's say uh, I want to do a swap where I want to do a Bitcoin transaction and buy into USDA or, in, or an NFT. I can do that today, right? The reverse path of things where there's logic on the stack side that triggers an action on Bitcoin is needs more R&D. Like I think there are uh, applications like the PUX contract, for example, where people are locking up capital on the stack side and it's triggering uh, Bitcoin transactions on the Bitcoin side. They already exist, but this more general purpose uh, functionality where you know any logic on stacks can trigger any transaction on Bitcoin. I think it, it needs more R&D and it needs more better tooling around it, but I think it can be done and I think it would be something uh, that'd be very powerful. But that doesn't mean that un- we need to wait for that, right? Like that's one set of functionality. There's so many things that can be built even today uh, with the things that, that are live on this platform. Great, thank you. I'm excited to see if, if someone in the community comes up with a Bitcoin DAO um, now that the idea has been planted. Um, and so then one other question, can you walk us through the trade-offs and different design choices for Bitcoin smart contracts Specifically, the federated versus open networks. This is the token versus no token um, debate that, that's been out there. Um, and if there's anything that we could potentially explore that's in, in between those models. Yes. So I think um, people might have noticed like, you know, a bunch of debates going on on Twitter uh, where a bunch of people would try to criticize stacks. Interestingly, they actually don't, and I don't think they even can criticize stacks the technology the technology is very sophisticated like if you look if you look at clarity the language i think it's a very elegant language uh, people usually for example would criticize the same people so these are mostly kind of like bitcoin fundamentalists they would criticize solidity for being curing complete they'd be like oh that's too big of a attack vector and you know i don't like it clarity is actually not curing complete so it's very hard to criticize clarity it's a very elegant, safe solution over here. Same with like, you know, the fact that Stacks actually connects to Bitcoin. Stacks uh, can read Bitcoin transactions. Uh, Stacks contracts can, can respond to Bitcoin transactions and you can have these almost like hybrid applications where part of the application is, is on Bitcoin, part of the application is Stacks. It's a very elegant piece of technology, very hard to kind of like criticize. What people are criticizing is STX, the gas asset. And I think there's a particular type of community that criticizes that. The bulk of the crypto industry fully accepts gas assets, like every smart contract platform, any major platform out there, Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, Algorand, you name it, every single system uses gas assets because gas assets are very efficient. Like it's basically a market that you're paying in the gas asset and you're 
asking the operators or the miners to execute those smart contracts. It's a very efficient, elegant system. Everybody uses it. But when you are talking about a specific set of Bitcoin hardliners, like they're, so I think it's important to understand they're not criticizing the technology, right? They're not criticizing that this is an open source project, that this is like, uh, this is actually bringing more developers to Bitcoin and all of that. They're basically saying, don't have the gas asset. So let's explore like what happens if you don't have the gas asset, because the, the same set of people have tried building things without gas assets for a long, long time. It's a very well-studied type of area. And usually I think those solutions, uh, they basically can be divided into three things, right? So one of them is this concept of uh, drive chains or space chains. And the idea is highly theoretical. These things don't exist. Even after years and years of, of these ideas being around, nobody has really implemented it. Nobody has, has really um, done it, a full analysis of the incentive mechanisms, of liveness guarantees, like would these things even stay live uh, as, a, as, a, as a blockchain or a sidechain? So, so categorize these as like theoretical ideas where new gas assets are not needed. And these are called drive chains, space chains. They don't really exist. So I think we can just put them aside that let's discuss them if they ever become real. Like if there is a real implementation that is actually getting any usage and, and so on. So the other two methods that remain, one is a federation. So the, the most uh, kind of like prominent one would be liquid. Uh, and uh, over there, interestingly, going back to the values of Bitcoin. So you're saying that, you know, Bitcoiners like decentralization, but liquid is actually not decentralized. Uh, you're depending on uh, a handful of operators to run the network, right? So you're, you're pretty close to a centralized slash closed system. Miners, you can't just become a miner on Bitcoin, right? And then the way liquid network is designed the gas fees are going to a wallet that is controlled by a single company because they need to actually use that to peg out transactions and pay fees. But compare that to an open system where the gas fees are actually going to miners and anyone could be a miner. It's a much more open system. But it actually gets worse than that, right? Like, like Because imagine that what happens if a lot of app usage starts to happen. Right. So imagine, let's say there is a lending application on Stacks. On Stacks, your Bitcoin just remains on the Bitcoin chain for the lending application. So let's say we have a $10 million of uh, volume. We go from 10 million to 100 million, from 100 million to a billion, right? billion to 10 billion. Right? On Stacks, that $10 billion worth of Bitcoin is remaining on the Bitcoin blockchain being secured by the Bitcoin miners, by the multi-sigs and all the technology that people use, right? I feel pretty good about that. But, you know, $10 billion of Bitcoin being secured by Bitcoin itself. In the federated model, you're actually now trusting the, fed, the federated multi-sig. You're basically converting a lot of Bitcoin into liquid BTC and now you're trusting. So at what level do you start getting concerned about it? Is it 10 million? Is it 100 million? Is it a billion? Is it like $10 billion on a single multisig? Like at some point you'd be like, you know what? This is, this is not secure enough. I just can't do it. And, and, and the same thing with RSK. Like over there, their multisig setup is a little bit different. Like it's a hardware multisig, but you, would, you, you can read the docs and they would tell you that there is a probability 
let's say there's a hardware fault in that multi-sig and the $10 billion worth of Bitcoin can just disappear because it's a single multi-sig setup uh, based, based on hardware. And then that's the reason that they have backup keys, right? Currently, RSK multi-sig setup has backup keys, meaning that there are a handful of people who have access where, sure, they have security protocols in mind and how, you know, in an emergency situation, they'll try to get access, but it's about incentives and designing open systems. I would personally always pick a system where Bitcoin remains on the Bitcoin chain, regardless of the volume. Is it 1 million, 10 million, 1 billion, 10 billion, versus something where you have, where is a natural centralizing force. You're forced to go through a multi-set. You're forced to use something that is actually not Bitcoin. It is something else, right? And that's, I think that's a critical difference between federated systems, systems that rely on multi-sigs, versus an open system where anybody could be a miner and it has direct connection to Bitcoin, meaning that Bitcoin can just remain on the Bitcoin mainchain. All right. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for this week. Um, thank you, Muni, for being here. And thanks to everyone um, for sharing their questions on Twitter. And we love to uh, answer them via these stacker chats. And we're going to be sharing more resources, um, of course, over time. So we're going to catch up again next week. If you've not yet subscribed, please do it now to ensure you don't miss any content like this. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.